0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to New Books Network. I'm Galina Limarenko, doctoral candidate in neuroscience with a focus on biochemistry and molecular biology of neurodegenerative diseases at EPFL in Switzerland, and I will be your host today. Today, we'll be talking to Albert Volk about the new book, Hidden in Plain Sight, the history, science, and engineering of microfluidic technology. Stories Behind Essential Microfluidic Devices, From the Inject Printer to DNA Sequencing Chip. In this book, Albert Folk, a leading researcher in microfluidics, describes the development and use of key microfluidic devices. He explains not only the technology, but also the efforts, teams, places, and circumstances that enabled these inventions. Well, Albert, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
1: Okay, so can you tell us what do you do? Well, I'm a
0: professor in bioengineering, the Department of Bioengineering in, at the University of Washington. And I work in uh, microfluidics applied to cancer. So I've been doing that for the last uh, 20 years. And um, we the, the applications in cancer are, are uh, uh, due to the the fact that we are what we do is we use we, we put very small biopsies into the microfluidic devices. Uh, the biopsies are, are very scarce, and hence the use of, of microfluidics uh, because we want to apply uh, very large numbers of drugs to uh to, to a small to a small uh, to a small piece of tissue that uh, we get from patients. So that's in a nutshell what what we do in, in my lab. Uh, we also apply three uh, D printing techniques to develop novel de- novel devices. It's kind, it's kind of a um, uh, you know a side uh, you know, some side experimentation that we do in the lab, but um, it's mostly uh, cancer microfluidics that we do.
1: And how did you get interested in uh, studying biotechnology and working in this field?
0: Uh, this is a long story. Uh, when when I moved i I started in in my in, in physics. I was, I was born in Barcelona, and I studied physics, and I moved to uh, to boston, to to MIT for a postdoc, also following a woman I had met in Berkeley. and uh, all, all, all this is explained in my in the introduction of my of my book. And uh, then she became my my wife, uh, Lisa. Then I did a second postdoc at Harvard. That's where I really started my microfluidics work in in 1997 uh, when I met my 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 mentor uh, Mehmet Toner, uh, who had a very inquisitive mind and and that's where he always asked me, you know, why do we do things and so on. And at the time, we were starting to ask, uh, you know, uh, starting to apply microfluidic uh, microfabrication technology uh to tissue engineering and biological problems he was a pioneer in that <clears throat> and and uh, then uh, microfluidics was the the right tool to uh to follow up on that at the time uh you know across across the <laughs> the the road uh, practically at that Harvard um George Whitesides was starting his, his uh, uh, soft lithography techniques. Um, his first paper in soft lithography is for, dates from 93, and 94. And, and then because, because that meant bypassing, uh, bypassing the clean room, that was a, a great opportunity. And so I started using those as well, although I never went through Whiteside, but the Whitesides group. Uh, but it was very easy to to implement, really, in the in the lab, and and we started using PDMS as well. Uh, so so that's that's really how how it all started. Um, that the the fact that we we kind of like we're looking at at, at white sites and and implementing the, the PDMS techniques to to do tissue engineering. And I, I spent three years with Memetoner at, at Harvard. And that's when I got my job here. That's from 1997 to 2000. 2000. I became a professor here at the University of Washington.
1: So you said you were uh, moving for your position. So can you just tell us how easy or difficult was it, uh, sort of, you know, approaching your life and then starting a position like a postdoc in a different country?
0: That's a very good question. <laughs> um, I, I think it's, it, it can be difficult. Like, um, emotionally to to leave your country and and so on but for me i've always said that i, w- I would have never left uh, my my country if it had not been for the fact that i was i was uh i had two motivations because i i really had the motivations of uh, for me leaving i was uh, you know leaving because of science but also because of uh because i had a love <laughs> uh reason to leave Uh, And I I had a a girlfriend and I I had, I had met her in Berkeley before. And, um, and then, so I had a reason to go to Boston outside of science as well. And so I I had really two powerful reasons. And, and uh, we, we had been having this long distance relationship. It was very clear that we loved each other very much. And, and so so for me, but I, I I know it, it, it can be very difficult. And I, I, um but but I it was also very clear for me that I did not want to do science in Spain um because because it was very uh I I, I that the opportunities here were so much better. Um and so I, I had done uh you know like a year in Berkeley, uh, more than a year, about a year and a half, and then I had been also a summer in, at MIT, and I had like uh, gotten a taste of this excellence uh, that that uh, people here work work very hard, and and I was I thought I thought that was uh, amazing, you know, that I had seen these these shiny labs, <laughs> and I really I really wanted to do science here instead of uh, the the science that we that I had um, grown accustomed to and in Barcelona so and and now now it's it's got much better in in Barcelona uh, with the investments in the in the last 20 years but but back then it was very different um but now I've established my life here with children and my wife and so so things have changed for me as well on a personal level
1: and from your experience what would you say to our student listeners and early career researchers
0: uh, I, I would say always follow your heart <laughs> but, but no no I, I don't mean follow your heart in a in a way that like uh love and follow you know just just do what what feels right you know just just try to uh, go go after uh go go where your passion lies uh and and then it won't it won't feel wrong so don't don't try to to try to uh optimize the monetary gain or or things like that just just try to try to do what you think you're you're best at and 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 then people will will pay you right after that and and i i think that that's uh because life is too short and 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 it's not it's not worth but at least for me i just I just don't um, I, I've never thought about money or anything like that. And I've been so happy professionally because I, I was always thinking about ooh, enjoying uh enjoying the learning experience.
1: Yeah. So your latest book is Hidden in Plain Sight, The History, Science and Engineering of Microfluidic Technology. So how did you come to writing it?
0: Well, uh, <laughs> It, it was really itching inside of me. I mean, there's so many beautiful stories and, and, and microfluidics is such a beautiful uh, it, it's so full of beautiful imagery. As, as you can see from the in the book, it's full of beautiful images. I, I, I convinced the editor, uh, the publisher to to include to make it in, in full color. so I could include a lot of images from, from, from the people who attributed these. And, and I've also met all the people that started <laughs> these microfluidic chips, uh, almost all of them. You know, Andreas Mans, Whitesides, Memetoner, uh, Quake, and all their advisees. Uh, I mean, we just count uh, Whitesides, Hans Vibach, Chutakayama, Noli John, Abe <laughs> Stroup, Dan Chu, Rustemus Magalov, John Rogers. Um, and so many. they are all the ones that come from white sites, and then they're all all the advisees from from MIT, and then they're all my my age, and and uh, and so and I've met the the, the senior people as well. So. Uh, so that that that's uh i i i've met you know we, we've shared a lot of things over the years and so i also enjoy writing um i, I grew up surrounded by books uh, celebrating books in in persona we we have a, a book day in, in april 23rd <laughs> I, I don't know if you know that but I, well, my father was a publisher uh, my brother is a publisher as well um and so and, and my mother my mother has also written several books so th- this is my fifth book by the way but um so so when COVID struck, for me it was the logical thing to do with all that free time. Um, so so just to sit down and write, you know, I, I love writing. As that's what I do in my free time, uh, aside from playing soccer. And and so because because there were all all these people, um, everyone was at home. I decided to uh, start interviewing. These people that I had easy access to, and and then collecting stories uh, from them. So I, I wanted to to kind of figure out putting together all the like the history, but on a with a personal, a full of personal accounts, and and it's by no means like uh, you know the whole history because there's this this uh, parts that I had to leave out. Otherwise, it would have been uh, uh, you know monster book, but. But I had to pick a few examples. Uh, those are the examples of the chapters essentially. and and then, and then I, I made I made some like stories, you know of, the, of those.
1: Okay, so let's dive into the stories. And can we start with the very basics? so we know that everybody's on the same level. So what is microfluidic mm-hmm. technology? <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, it's essentially the the, the manipulation of small, uh, like sub milliliter quantities of fluids in, in in very small channels, and by small meaning uh, meaning you know uh, uh, you, you know smaller than you can fit in your in your thumb. Uh, you know sometimes, sometimes the, the, the channels the devices can be obviously larger, uh, but the ba- basic premise of the book is that. Most people are unaware of microfluidics and and have been using microfluidic devices uh, all their lives uh, without knowing it. And some are rudimentary, uh, like the ballpoint paint, it's based on a microfluidic principle. And some are are fabricated using miniaturization technology, um, uh, like the inkjet printer or the the glucometer uh, devices that people, that diabetics use. Um, but what they all have in common is that the microfluidics are, are hidden from the user. Uh, like the mechanics of a car are, are hidden uh, behind a console uh, or, or the electronic circuits are hidden under a touchscreen in, in, your, in, your, in your smartphone. And that's why, the, the, and hence the title, uh, the hidden in plain sight. Um, and um, yeah, and, and so the, the, the goal was to approach the reader uh, to the to these inventors with this interviewing process that I did.
1: So, how did microfluidics start? Uh, I, I, I
0: think I think it depends on how you ask this question because I mean, there's been microfluidics since the beginning of time, and and uh, there's, there's uh there's two there's two ways to. Uh, asked this question, and, and when we talk about microfluidics, if you if you mean microfluidic chips, um, uh, which is what this book is about, uh, it, it, they they started they started uh, in uh, uh, with the analysis of of chemicals uh, by by with the need of analyzing chemicals. Uh, chem- essentially, chemists realized that, that they wanted to miniaturize their instrumentation. Uh, to make it uh, more make the analysis more efficient and uh, so, so the the first one was a gas chromatograph uh that was that was uh, this is what uh, chapter two is about chapter one is, is just an introduction to the the techniques for to make the small devices but chapter two uh is, is an interview uh well it's based on an interview to steve terry who Build the first chromatograph at Stanford, um, and it's the first microfluidic device in history. and And I interviewed him; is as, is as a very charming old man now. in like his 70s or 80s, and and uh, they they realized that they they could uh, increase the efficiency of uh, of separation of of gases. That's what a chromatograph does: separate separates the components of a gas. Um, by by miniaturizing it and it was a, a request by nasa actually because they wanted to make these separation more efficient to put it the separations more efficient so that they, they so that they could put it on a on a on a shot uh, you know on the space um so from that design that was what's interesting what I connect this to to this that this the design that Steve Terry uh, put together was caught up by uh, was noticed by by the people who who made the first um uh, uh, inkjet nozzles and and they they made the inkjet nozzles based on on those on those techniques and and that's where I connected to I connect to, to the droplet making uh technology uh that then became very important uh and uh and so so that, that's where kind of like the connection to the in, in the book I, I connect stories with each other that then i connect that to the to the emulsions um because the droplets essentially are only uh, the, 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 the the emulsions are droplets uh, are small drops in in, in oil and and they're very important in our daily lives. You know, sauces the, that we eat to eat and, and, and drink every day are are are, are emulsions. They're, they're very tiny uh, droplets, and and they. they and then I, I talked about a famous chef from, from Barcelona, which, uh, where I'm from. He's it, it, really like the, the Einstein of, of chefs. And Because I personally met him, and, and also because he he was uh, invited to host a series of lectures at Harvard in the, in a on on the science of cooking, which was then which were organized by Dave Wise, who who's a world expert on droplet microfluidics, and and droplet microfluidics is a technique for the analysis of of tiny chemical reactions at ultra high throughput. So this kind of like goes back to the beginning. Uh, in the in the story of the in the storytelling of the, of the book, so that's kind of like I like to um, make make these loops in the in the book of telling, going back to the beginning. Um, so that's kind of like in, in chapter two. Mm-hmm.
1: So how do those droplets and those emulsions are being harvested to do some useful things? So what are some of the physical principles that underlie this technology?
0: Well, they're, they're, they're being harvested uh, in different ways they they are um they're produced uh, this I explained that in the book and uh they there's two there's two channels that meet or uh, well, three really that meet at a, at a one point and because the the channels uh, squeeze uh oil uh, uh or oh, two, two channels of oil squeeze another channel of water there's a point where where the 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 uh, a water droplet gets created uh, from from continuous channels, and um, similar to what you would see in air when when there's a drip of uh, a drip of, of of water in a in a faucet, but it happens between uh, between oil, um, and and so you you end up having lots of droplets being generated at a huge uh, at, at, at at an unbelievable rate. We're talking about Thousands of droplets generated every every second, and and uh, and, and then they're they're put into a vial really, and, and they, you, you 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 get them into a vial, and you get you 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 can analyze them, you can pass them through lasers, you can pass them through uh, other microfluidic modules where they can be mixed or um, uh, merged and, and do all sorts of operations. For, for analysis
1: so what were some of the very first and very important discoveries in this field well in, in
0: the in in the in the book I go through I, I give several examples of of uh, how how these uh, how, how microfluidic devices were used um, uh, and one of them is for example the use of microfluidic devices for uh, for um, uh, de- decoding the human genome and, and because they, they, uh, they, they can be used for uh, analyzing the uh, uh, nucleic acids, uh, so, so uh, DNA, essentially, so the, the use of DNA, the, the use for, for DNA chips. And this was something that uh, was started by Andreas Manns and, and Richard Matthews uh, um, later at Berkeley and they developed these chips uh, for that were the basis of, of the human genome instrumentation, uh, and now uh, for the uh, next next generation sequencing, that, uh, the the Illumina chips that are also microfluidics. Uh, so, all, essentially, if uh, you if you think about DNA chips or, or uh, you know the, the analysis of DNA uh it, it's it's it goes together with microfluidics, although people are not aware of that so that that's one big uh i think big contribution of of uh, microfluidics uh, that has gone in the background and people are not aware uh, another thing that i that I think it's has been very 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 impactful has been the contribution to uh, um, blood analysis in general uh, miniaturized blood analysis in the in the form of uh uh, Glucose uh, this, this I go through this in, uh, in the, the history of this in in uh, chapter four, and and uh, the, the the history of this has been fascinating, fascinating as well. Uh, I interview a bunch of people, uh, but but uh, and, and by extension, other uh, point of care devices that that has been so the, the, all the miniaturization of analysis of, of bodily fluids. Has been a revolution in uh, you, you know, using microfluidics, but but think about uh, a diabetic people now. Now they can go and and buy uh, uh, a, a glucometer. I actually interviewed uh, one of the the pioneers in this, uh, the the, free, the developer of Freestyle, Adam Heller, who 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 when he was eleven years old he had he escaped from the Nazis, and uh, and so so they they they. Uh, uh, these these are now available for ten dollars at the, a at the pharmacy, and and you can just you can just um, you know with a little bit of drop from from your finger, or not even that, wearing a patch on your side, uh, you can you can just monitor the levels of glucose in your body, and and uh, and 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 you don't die. It, 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 people used to die from this, you know. And the other um, another very important contribution is is the pregnancy test. Pregnancy test is a uh, it is, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a marvelous microfluidic device based on a piece of paper that, um, that contains uh, essentially a, a paper strip that contains these stripes with antibodies and reagents that, that perform a, a very simple colorimetric reaction with urine that can, that can detect if a woman is pregnant based on the levels of a protein that's, that is elevated in, 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 in pregnant women. And so that has been a revolution in 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 in, in for, for 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 you know women's uh, for women's health and and women's sexuality in uh, when, since the sixties, of course. Um, and I talk also about uh, uh, rare cells, and uh, these are uh, revolution is still uh, being being um you know in in the making but this was started in in my advisors uh, Mametoners, uh, uh lab uh, but he so so that 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 chapter is very rich with <clears throat> anecdotes of course because I had a lot of insider information <clears throat> but also with uh, uh, you know it, it's it's a it's a revolution because because they are able to create devices that have uh, that that harvest uh, very uh, rare cells in our blood. We're talking about one cell per billion cells in 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 our bloodstream that could that have can that that uh, signal the presence of cancer. And so they they the the, the idea is that we can detect uh, cancer before. Before it it becomes uh, a problem for you know this is the first signs of metastasis. Uh, these are cells that are involved in the metastasis in, in our body. So so but they they are very in very small numbers and uh, and so they are essentially uh, just by filtering uh, your your blood um, at a at a huge rate a very very fast rate they can detect them. And uh, with, with a variety of designs, so I, I go through these in, in that in that uh, that's the chapter eight, and um, and also of course you've you've heard of of three um, uh, D printers. Three uh, D printers are are microfluidic devices. They, not all of them, but but most of the designs of micro of three uh, D printers are 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 based on microfluidic principles. And and those have had uh, of course a huge uh, impact. And um, I for, for this chapter, this the last chapter of the book, I I interviewed uh, Jennifer Lewis, who who was who, who one of the pioneers in this she's at Harvard now, and uh, she she understood before anybody else the the rheology of the problem of of how how uh, uh, how the, the 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 polymers are um, exuded, extracted. From from the nozzle of a three D printer, it's a, it's a problem of understanding the viscosity of a polymer, uh, and and so she she's based her career on 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 this, and she's built three D printers that do the things that n- nobody could imagine they could do, and she has a very successful program uh, at Harvard and and does amazing things. So. Uh, but but I talk about a lot of things about, about 3D printers in general. We talk you show, show also how p- people can 3D print food now and, um, and 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 other things. I talk about the the pioneers like uh, Ragnar Dean who also uh, printed the first um, uh, microfluidic devices with 3D printers and and so on. So it, it's it's a it's a kind of a book full with filled with anecdotes and I think I have known most of the people.
1: Oh, it's fascinating. Microfluidics are everywhere without us yes. even realizing.
0: <laughs> yeah, they are. I, that's, why, that's why, I mean, I actually, I, the, the, the name of the book it, it was, was, uh, was my wife's idea when I had already written the book. And, and I, it had another, I don't remember, some other boring title. And, and she said, when she was uh, going through the book and helping me with typos and things like that, and she said, "Albert, you, you should call this Hidden in Plain Sight. And I thought, oh, I thought it was such a great idea. I, I said, oh, of course, of course, it's Hidden in Plain Sight. It's such a great, uh, great name. And, and then, uh, like about two, like about a month ago, I did a search on Amazon. It turns out there are, Several books called "Hidden in Plain Sight," <laughs> which which I didn't I didn't realize, but uh, but they're they're are very uh, strange books. The there, couple of them are re- from uh, the religious sects, and uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, they but they're like self-published books, and well, this one on some other, some other strange, some other strange thing. But uh, anyway,s it's not a unique book. Uh, it's not a unique title, unfortunately, but uh, but it is, it is.
1: Uh, well, it, that's what the subtitle is for, I guess. Exactly, subtitle makes it really unique. Yes. So um, I was wondering then, how are those small devices manufactured? And how easy or difficult is it to make them?
0: Ah, so that, that, that's a theme that uh, comes, it's a, a great question. And this theme that is, uh, comes uh, recurrently during the, um, uh, during the, um, the book because uh, uh, at, at different stages in the book, because it is part of the history of the field, that, that difficulty that, uh, that we have had in in making these devices, uh, we people started making these devices from uh, silicon and from glass because people made them uh, uh, in in the same facilities as microelectronics. Uh, it, it, it essentially the people people that were that wanted to make the the, the first micro microfluidics engineers were people that had. Uh, that were very close to microelectronics engineers. They were, you know, at IBM or or at uh, at uh, Bell Labs, and, and they they were <clears throat> they had no other tools. So they they had the same materials, the glass and and silicon. But but very quickly it became obvious that those materials were not ideal. And. And that's what I I wrote a whole chapter based on on this concept called the, the democratization of microfluidics because because I, I they they saw in in the in the nineties 90s, early nineties 90s, uh, essentially Whiteside saw b- better than nobody else that that there was a huge problem with how devices were made at the time which was just, they were made in 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 uh, in, in glass and silicon. That, that it was very difficult to make devices that way. And and, and he, he came across with a new material, uh, PDMS, polydimethylsiloxane, which is like a transparent rubber. And and uh, he and, and and I explained the, the how how they came across this because I, I I interviewed the people in in his that had been in his lab uh, in the very early stages of, of PDMS uh, handling uh which is uh, uh Huri and amit kumar and and uh, it was wonderful that they could get a hold of them uh to 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 figure out w- w- what was w- what was w- you know what was going on through their minds at that moment so they uh and and and, and amit kumar in particular he was the first the the person who published the first paper on on soft lithography, which was the, the technique that superseded essentially, and that, that uh, allowed people to make microfluidic devices in this new material, uh, PDMS, and 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 essentially still uh, about ninety percent of the of the devices are still made in PDMS because it's so it's so easy. Now, what I explain also in the book is that that material has several problems uh, in terms of manufacturing uh, it's it's wonderful it's, it's very biocompatible it's elastic you can make microvalves they also talk about microvalves they even interviewed mark unger from uh, steve Quakes, uh, who steve Quakes invented the the pdms microvalve and mark unger was the the student who who invented it and it's, it's so it, it's a but but, uh, but it became it became a problem uh because in the In the 2000 2007 or so the, the, the NIH and the other founding agencies started pushing for translation you know for the idea that <clears> the <throat> that that scientists should also be involved in bringing the ideas to to society to, to, to market and <clears throat> which I think it's a, it's a great idea, but it has the, the problem that uh, you know some some of these techniques are not good for for mass manufacturing and it would very quick very obvious obvious it became obvious very quickly that PDMS was not amenable uh, to mass manufacturing because it's very cumbersome to it's very manual it, manual the, te- the, techn- the technique is very manually involved you, you you have to put you have to do this. It's, it's it's a molding technique to 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 you you, you mold the channels um, it's actually very easy to do, but it's also very hard to to make it in an in an automated way. so I talk also about other techniques that are now being implemented more and more uh, to to make it in plastic. So most of the most of the uh, objects that you you're probably holding in your hands right now are, are made of plastic. You know, the, your pen, your your glasses, or or your phone, they have cases that that, have, uh, that, have, that are made on plastic by, by techniques such as the uh, molding thing, like injection molding or hot embossing. And these techniques are much more amenable to uh, high speed and, and, and high volume manufacturing. And so now the, the, uh, uh, the, the engineer, micro, microfluidic engineers are turning towards those because those are also based on uh, these the thermoplastic polymers that are very biocompatible. Uh, they're a little bit more difficult to work with than PDMS, <clears throat> but instead they are very, very uh, uh, mass manufacturable. So they're directly translatable to to, to uh, you know to, to 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 things that you can sell later. So so that's that's essentially the, the short story <laughs> behind the the problem. All the techniques that you, you see in the book. I also talk a little bit about uh about uh, there's also a chapter on on 3D printing because 3D printing has also uh, a lot of promise, although it has challenges in in, in biocompatibility. Uh, but it has been very important in the in 3D printing of of uh, uh, hydrogels uh, for for bioprinting and and because because of the of the compatibility with uh with, with because hydrogels are materials that that you that you can directly uh they're, they're very compatible with the, our physiological uh insight you know so so those are, are essentially all, all the you know, very short summary of, of, of what we use in our in our uh, in, 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 in micro the the uh, glass and silicon, the old times. PTMS uh, later on, uh, inj- um, injection molding, injection molding and hot embossing for thermo thermoplastics, and and also uh, hydrogels.
1: Mm, the biocompatible materials are so exciting, especially when we think about applications for the organ building, for example
0: uh y- yes is that a question
1: <laughs> yeah uh, uh, i was just to, yeah I, I was wondering whether you know there are some of these applications are going even beyond sort of uh, you know general general uh, fantasies and uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm
0: sorry yeah, i was giving you a hard i was giving you a hard time yeah yeah no i i was uh i, I think uh, the actually the 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 book ends ends in in this uh it ends with with a beautiful figure from uh, from uh from, from from uh from a 3d printed uh from these 3d printed uh, organs uh, a set of figures from these 3d printed organs you know one of which was a was a beautiful covering science from from uh a co- uh, collaborative effort between Jordan Miller and and um and Kelly Stevens uh, Jordan Miller is at Rice University uh and uh, Kelly Stevens is is here at the University of Washington and so they they um and, and they used they use hydrogels and and essentially I mean you, you can you can 3d print uh a lot of very fancy microfluidic devices also in hydrogels um and, and so that that's what it's covered in the in the last chapter in of the book in three D printing, uh, because I think it has a lot of applications in that in that organ organ printing, uh, technique, uh, yeah, field.
1: So of course, organ printing is very specific and it's going to be, uh, you know, for for one patient. But when we we think about scalability, say three D printed food. So how possible is it to scale up?
0: Um. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it will depend. Uh, well, one nice things about three D printers is that you you can always scale up by having more printers, <laughs> and, and by and by having um and by having a distributed, what's called distributed manufacturing. You you don't you don't need to manufacture everything at one place. Uh, you can send a design to many places, and you you have seen this during. During the pandemic during the pandemic there was this uh shortage of of of, of these masks for hospitals right um, and i'm not talking about the masks that we wear every day i'm talking about the the the, the these these masks that that, that uh, surgeons had to wear over over their over their faces you know the um the the the, the ones that were um you, you wear like a like a helmet, and then and you you wear like a a, a shield, a face shield. That, that was that was what it was called. And they, and they had to; those were 3D printed. Um, and it was very, it was a very simple thing that you put over. It was a two piece thing, and then you you put a the, the face shield was 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 just a, uh essentially like a, a transparent like a transparency. But you, it was a very simple thing, and and people realized, oh, we don't. We, we, this doesn't need to be manufactured. This could be 3D printed at, at like a, a, you know a thousand different points across the country. We just distribute the design, and and people can say, and and this is what was done uh, during during the uh, d- during the pandemic um, because because it was so much more efficient. And that's called distributed manufacturing. So I think that that um, uh, that's a natural way of scaling it because these machines. Are not, are not meant for high-volume high volume manufacturing. They're, they're, they're meant for distributed manufacturing.
1: So somebody can just upload their uh, design to Thingiverse or some other d- depository? Exactly. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that's a very clever way. Mm-hmm. So what do you think is the potential of this technology for the future? Uh,
0: you mean microfluidics in general? <laughs> I, <laughs> there are... Uh, well it, it, there's not a single potential there's there's uh i, I think um, microfluidics has has uh it's like <clears throat> it's 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 a it's a tool uh, it's a tool for, to make uh so many things and and we're talking about uh you know one thing is uh, organs on a chip but but uh, another the, uh, or, you know or artificial organs Another another potential is for uh, for 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 better um, uh, point of care devices. It's it's very different. It's kind of like diverging. Well, one is for inside the body, the other one is for outside the body, Uh, or for um, genetic analysis and and proteomic analysis, and 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 even secretome analysis. Uh, That would be even even more. Uh, more far-fetching, you know we kind of uh, um, trying to analyze uh, every uh, every possible um, substance that that, uh, that cells and tissues are secreting. Uh, so that we get a, a, a better understanding of their uh, of their present state uh, at every single moment. Uh, not just a snapshot of their of their genetic uh, of, of their uh, you know genetic makeup, um, and, and so so these are these are you know things that people are are working on um, in uh, to, towards to, towards the future, and it will require a lot of engineering still. Um, automation is another area in which uh it requires a lot of uh investigation um uh, because we still don't have uh the equivalent of uh a, a simple electrical valve the best valves that we have right now in microfluidics are are simple uh very simple valves that uh that, that are uh, elect- uh, uh, pneumatically actuated but that requires that the device be tethered to to a uh, to to a you know to some, but there's no such thing as, as like a we don't have a device like a smartphone that operates operates without being uh, being tethered. There's some now that operate uh, very cleverly with um, uh, with with, with capillarity principles where where there's a lot of built-in automation uh, with sequences uh, that are built in. Uh, that have been that have been uh, lately have been <clears throat> demonstrated uh, by David Juncker and others, um, and and so yeah, those are, I think I think the other area in which this the need for innovation is also in the materials uh, for 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 three D printing. Uh, right now, although there's a lot of enthusiasm for three D printed microfluidics, we actually have a very limited set of very limited set of tools uh, there. We have very limited set of choices because we, we don't we cannot three D print uh, anything we want. We we most of the materials out there are not very biocompatible. So if you, you ask me, what is that we can three D print in 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 uh, in microfluidics? Well, it's it's limited still, and so it would be nice to to have. Broader set of tools, uh, where we could have maybe like you know a dozen or, or twenty different materials of all types of properties, so that we could build you know all all, all types of of uh, uh, of of, uh, uh, of functionalities inside inside the inside device. Um, but it, it will come.
1: Do you feel that microfluidics eventually going to be um, another sort of full point of focus for biohackers like CRISPR has become?
0: Um, no, I don't, I don't imagine how. <laughs> no, I don't see that, that being a problem. How would they hack it? I, I, I'm not even aware of uh, that problem. Sorry.
1: It's not uh, easily accessible technology to make microfluidic devices, is it?
0: Oh, I, I think it's it's easily accessible I just not not see it um, easily hacked I, I don't know how to I, I wouldn't know how to uh, yeah it would be it would be very obvious uh, if it it were uh, someone you know, one thing is the stealing the, the the intellectual property or things like that but but uh, hacking uh, as in uh, introducing a malicious, a bug or things like that. That's a very that's very different.
1: Oh, that's great to hear. <laughs> yeah. So, just reflecting a little bit on a wider picture. So, sometimes it's uh, these technologies that we develop. We don't really see the immediate applications, for example, but you know they they will come in the future. So, why is it important for us to be researching and investing in the development of these technologies, even if they don't have the apparent application at the time?
0: <clears throat> well, for, <laughs> uh, for me, it's, uh, that's a difficult question to, to answer, because for me, it's, uh, the, the applications are very, are, are very obvious. I guess you're asking me to put myself into the mind of someone who, who, for whom the applications are not obvious. Um, uh, I would, I would have to. Maybe I would tell them to read my book, <laughs> and, and and tell them that that, 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 that that there are there are a lot of and, and get them familiarized with the uh, with the field of microfluidics because because microfluidics, uh, you know, if you if you if you walk into a, a a biology lab, okay, or into a chemistry lab, this is this is uh, very obvious at that point. Um, the manipulation of fluids uh, is everywhere, right? So you, the biologists have to pipette, and um, chemists have to do chemical reactions in in their <clears throat> in their vessels, right? In their um, in, in their little tubes. So th- there's always a benefit to Miniaturizing those and and making <clears throat> excuse me and and making uh and, and, and making these reactions in a in a smaller in, in in a smaller um at a smaller scale. And there's a point where that scale becomes microfluidic, and it requires microfluidic techniques. There's always a benefit so when you when you realize this that's when you want to read my book and and see what has been done which uh, people realized this uh, in the 1970s 1980s and that's where uh, andreas mann is formulated uh, their uh, for he was a chemist he is a chemist and he formulated his his uh, first you know the the principle of scalability and all that stuff so all this has been has been done and, and i think that 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 it, when you realize that uh, that there's a uh, there's a, a tyranny of pipetting, uh, in in and I'm not the first one to say this. It's a, it's a saying by by uh, by uh, Steve Quake and and you know the the, the, the the biologists are are submitted to this to this uh, subjected to this um, tyranny of pipetting, then. It, you realize that it's extremely important that microfluidics is is, a, is that's why it's a tool that's now being adopted uh, that has been already adopted by uh, by biotechnology companies, um, chemistry companies, etc. To upscale their products uh, because because it's, uh, it's there's always a financial gain uh, an efficiency gain doing these processes at a at a smaller scale
1: excellent answer my uh, pipetting thumb agrees with you (laughs) yeah so what discoveries in your research for your book hidden in plain sight surprised you the most
0: what uh sorry what discoveries
1: yes maybe you came across some interesting topics or maybe you discovered that you for example as you say really love writing
0: yeah well, well no, I already knew that I love writing but I I think uh in general my, my the, the the biggest pleasure that I derived the, the discoveries were the stories of the, uh, the personal stories uh during the interview process that that was uh a a, a great um I guess the idea that I had for this was was that um well having the ability to to um, uh, access all these researchers who, who were at home I, I realized because it was covid that they were uh, they were at home and and then uh, I, I one by one i think they were all in their own unique uh, you know when i and they, they were all available uh, it was it was amazing that they all answered yes to, uh, to almost all answered yes to my request and and, and they were so enthusiastic about sharing their their life experiences. Uh, so they, they were telling me about their, uh, you know, their when they were uh, little, what they were, and, they, and it was it was nice to uh, hear the, the 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 other side of, uh, kind of like the, the personal side of their of their discoveries. Um, uh, so some stories were were more. Um, more interesting than others, um, just because some people are better storytellers than others, and and uh, but, but that is, I think that it's reflected in the book. But I I, I learned a lot. I, I learned I, I learned a lot about the history of the field by by writing the book. Uh, so that, that was what I I'm, I'm very happy I wrote it <clears throat> because in at the beginning, uh, when I started writing it was more dry, uh, but when because because COVID struck, i I was able to do it in a more to have this this more personal uh, approach uh, that that allowed me to uh, approach the 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 inventors to the readers this way. does that make sense?
1: Yeah, for sure, love it mm-hmm. so <laughs> Are you a fan of molecular gastronomy in this case? So you you tried some of oh, Ferran Adrià's uh, dishes. Do you have any favorites?
0: <laughs> I'm actually a very picky eater, I have to say. Um, I was uh, I I went to this restaurant because um, my wife begged me to, and uh, I, I I had to uh, I had to ask Ferran Adrià to to make make a lot of extra uh, you know special dishes for me but, but but I didn't I didn't enjoy the experience a lot and and uh, it was amazing it was it was uh, uh you, you know you you go to that uh, restaurant uh, El Bulli, which was closed for a long time now I think it's it's reopening and and uh, you you got there at 8, uh, 8 p.m. it was a single seating and you stayed there for 5 hours we we, we you 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 leave at uh, 1 a.m and uh, by the end by the end of the uh, he 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 always comes to greet the, the 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 people that go to the restaurant um so so that's where the, the picture that you see in the in the in the book is is with him there um but but i i i had actually uh, um my 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 dad uh, uh and and my brother personally knew him already so we had a a lot to talk about actually uh uh when we, when we got there, um, we were the only ones in my family who had not met him. And, and so, so we, we had to talk a lot of, we had a lot to talk about when, when we met him. And, and it was, um, uh, yeah, it was nice when, when he he was telling us about uh, why he did things and, and why he loved so much, uh, why he loved cooking so much. And uh, he, he's kind of, he's an amazing character. He's, you you have to realize he, he didn't even finish uh, his studies he didn't even finish high school, and uh, and yet he's, he has such an uh, an amazing scientific approach to cooking, um and and so, uh yeah the 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 term molecular gastronomy is actually if you look on Wikipedia is attributed to somebody else but he is really the person who who put together all all the practical. Uh, approach to to molecular gastronomy he he's he's a really the, the the person who 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 did all the uh, all the dishes of molecular gastronomy uh 20 years before anybody else and uh, he's he's a, he's a remarkable individual very very remarkable the the way he's the passion with which he speaks about uh how he makes his he his he puts so much thought into it you know it's it's just amazing and, and that's the reason why David Weiss invited him to to his to his um uh science of cooking course because uh he can he can engage he can engage uh these these audiences by by his by his talking he 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 barely speaks english but it doesn't matter <laughs> he, he's he's amazing he just he's just uh he, he's just uh uh yeah, he's, he's he's a unique individual i i i find him like uh like a yeah, a genius. He's he's just a genius. You, you would see it immediately, when just talking to him, uh, he's a celebrity in Barcelona. By the way, he's, he couldn't he doesn't he cannot be on the streets because he would be followed by immediately. He's surrounded by a mob, you know. <clears throat> but so it, it, that's fun. It's funny that I exploring that I, I ran into him on the street in in Cambridge just by chance. And, uh, and he recognized me and I, of course, I saw, I recognized him because he, because he had been to the rest. we had been to the restaurant and, and I, it was funny that he was just alone on the, on the streets of, of, uh, of Cambridge. Um, he, he would have been surrounded by a mob in Barcelona.
1: Well, this has been a truly fascinating discussion. So could you tell us then what are you working on now and what will be your next
0: project? Guess what? I'm working on a new book on microfluidics. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, but this one is is for uh, is for is for um, like popular audiences uh, for the for broad audiences, the, like a, like a trade book. Um, and the idea is similar, but uh, but not uh, no, no there's no focus on history. I, I cover not just microfluidic chips, but also uh, I want to cover. Uh, all the natural microfluidic phenomena, like uh, capillarity in plants, uh, like raindrop formation, um, uh, you know things like the the rainbow. The rainbow is <laughs> beautiful microfluidic phenomenon, right? Um, the blood flow in capillaries, uh, our sweat, uh, but but also the the impact. Uh, uh, you know, starting with a with a human story behind this, and. And also, um, and also, but also covering many rudimentary devices based on these principles. For example, the, the candle wick. The candle wick is, is a, is a, is a microfluidic device because it, it's based on capillarity. Or the paintbrush, uh, or the, the carburetor, or the, or the fuel injector. These, these are based on, on, on capillarity principles. Or so the kidney dialysis, or the spray bottle, uh, the asthma inhalers. Um, these are these all are all devices that predate uh, microfluidic chips. And I, of course, I also want to talk about microfluidic chips. It's going to be a a larger book, but again, not the focus will not be on the history, but on illuminating microfluidic mechanisms for the non-expert reader. So that's, that's the, that's my, that's what I'm working on now. It's kind of like halfway already.
1: That sounds super exciting. I hope you come and talk to us about it.
0: Mm, Sure. It'll be my pleasure.
1: So, what would be the best way for our listeners to find more information about your work and also your books?
0: Uh, oh, just Google Albert Folk and uh, uh, the University of Washington, <laughs> and yeah, Google Albert Folk books. Uh, I think uh, in or Albert Folk uh, MIT Press, for example, uh, they, they'll they'll get to the book. Uh, that's that's the best place.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.